Hey, are you ready to say yes to Jesus today? I mean, that's really the question we've been asking for the last uh, three or four weeks. I want to say yes to Jesus. I said yes. And we've looked at a number of ways where you can come and you can say yes to Jesus. And we've challenged you. We've tried to put rocks in your shoe, even rocks as big as this one in your shoe. As you've left each day, each Sunday morning, we've tried to plant something with you to say, hey, are you willing to say yes to Jesus? The first week we were together, we, we began and we said, hey, are you, yet, you willing to say yes to Jesus by laying something down, by sacrificing something? By putting something out in your life that needs to go out. Uh, This whole idea of denying self. Is there something I'm willing to lay down in order to say yes to Jesus? And then the next week we came back and said, hey, uh, you know what? Sometimes when we say yes to Jesus, we got to lay something down, but we got to be willing to pick something up. We got to be willing to accept a responsibility. We got to be willing to take on a role maybe that we hadn't before because we sense that God is doing something in us that we have to respond to. We got to pick it up. We got to take the mantle. We got we have to accept the cloak and move forward. Last week last week we came together and said, "You know what? We have a, God laid out in His Word this simple guide, a simple plan for us to say yes to Him. Now, some of us have already uh, traveled that trail of initially saying yes to Jesus, but maybe we, need, maybe we need just a simple way of laying out for us and for others what this simple yes looks like when we come to talk about God. Last week, we, we gathered together, and when we talked about our yes, uh, we said, hey, there, there's some things that God wants from us in order to say yes to His plan for us. The first thing we talked about, we talked about faith, this whole idea uh, that there's this incredible trust that we have in who God is and what He is doing. We walked through that. We said, hey, we have to be willing to confess who he is, and and in light of who he is, confess who we are too. We recognize who he is, and we recognize who we are. We said, hey, last week, we recognize that without God, we're the walking dead. With him, we're alive, living in a newness of life. And then we said, hey, we have to be willing to repent. We have to be willing to take all of our garbage And it's not just enough to be sorry. It's not enough to just say, oh, I really feel bad about it because I got caught. But there has to be a reorientation of life. I am going to orient my life toward God. I'm going to reset my compass in Jesus' direction. That's what we talked about last week. And I ended by saying, hey, there's another thing. There's another step in this simple plan that God has for us in saying yes to him. Yes, it's faith. Yes, it's confession. Yes, it's repentance. But it's also what we're going to talk about this morning. It's also about this thing that we call baptism. So that you can get oriented to this thing that we call baptism, I want you to take a look at the screen. Here on out. And heaven and everlasting, my Lord. 
No, what are you talking about? We got bigger fish to fry. The preacher said all my sins is washed away, including that piggy wiggly I knocked over in Genesis. I thought you said you was innocent, old shark. Well, I was lying. And the preacher said that that sin's been washed away, too. Neither God nor man's got nothing on me now. Come on in, boys. The water is fine. <laughs> Come on in, the water is fine. Come on in, the water is fine. This morning, I want to talk to you about baptism. I want to talk uh, as, a, uh, as a part of this simple plan, this simple guide that God has laid out in his word for you and me to say yes to him fully. I want to talk about baptism. I just want to talk to you very simply about three questions that we often have about baptism. The first one is, what is this thing? What is baptism? What is this spiritual exercise? The second question I want to ask is, how do we do it? How do we, how do we go about baptizing people? The third is, why? Why in the world do people get into a baptistry? Why in the world would they let someone hold them underwater? Why do we do that? So that we can understand this the simple plan that God has for us so that we can, can really appreciate and say yes to Jesus fully in response to him. We're going to answer those three questions. That first one, very simple. What is baptism? Quite frankly, it's more simple than you probably realize. Baptism is a way that we respond to God's grace. Baptism is one of those ways in which we say yes to God. Just like we've said yes to God in faith and confession and repentance. We say yes to God when we come and say yes and respond in our baptism. It's our, our participation with God and His grace. He has given us this wonderful invitation He's laid the $100 bill out on the stage and he said, hey, anybody with the last name that starts with C and ends with two L's can come and grab it. My last name's Cahill, by the way. All you have to do is come and, and grab it, but, but I want you to do what I've asked you to do. I want you to say yes. And baptism is one of those things. We, we come and we, we respond to God. And this ought to not be a surprise to us. Actually, throughout Scripture, we find that, that God and His people are often uh, walking through uh, water or, or they're passing through water in some way uh, that sees God save them on the other end. If you go all the way back to Genesis, there's this guy and... His name is Noah. Now, he's living in a time when things are, are really not going well for God's people. In fact, it's so bad uh, that the authors of Genesis say it's a, it's a really wicked time. Everybody's wicked, except maybe this guy, this guy named Noah. And God says, hey, I, I've got a plan. I'm going to destroy the world, but I'm going to save you. Now, you can believe that, or you don't have to believe it, but if you choose to believe it, I want you to build a boat. 
Now, tick, 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 maybe 120 years go by, and God sends the rain. It says, not only did rain come from above, it came from below, and there was so much water that everybody else is wiped out. It's, it's a judgment of God upon the earth. Now, was Noah saved by God? Absolutely. Did he practice his faith? Did he believe that God was going to do it? Yeah. But you know what? He still built a boat. Was it the boat that saved him? Or was it God? Yes. God led him, and Noah said yes. And he was saved by going through the water. Another time in the history of the Bible and God's people, there was the nation of Israel. And God's people needed to walk away from slavery. And God was leading them. In fact, uh, there was a guy named Noah. He was the leader of the whole gang. He was the leader of the bunch. And God had given him some special privileges, some, uh, so some special things, and he had a special rod. And, and Noah came to a place where there was water. They weren't going to go any further. They weren't going to escape the slavery. In fact, they were going to have to go back to slavery unless they went through the water. And so Noah, he takes his staff and he touches the water and God parts the water and they go through it and they're saved on the other side. They all had to walk through in order to escape slavery. Are we surprised then that in the earliest portions of the church, That when people are saying yes to God, in order to leave the slavery of sin behind them, that they have to walk through water in order to do it. Well, nobody in the, the early church is surprised. In fact, it seems like over and over and over again, as we, we see the response of the church, that, that people are walking through this simple plan of having faith, of confessing, of repenting, and of being baptized. So that you and I can see that, would you join me in the Bible? Would you walk with me, uh, maybe just through a pathway of early uh, Christian history, uh, to say, hey, let's just evaluate what happened that baptism actually is a response. It's part of this simple plan that God gives us to say yes. We're going to be in Acts. If you want to grab a Bible, open it up. Look into the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. And then we get to Acts. If you get to Romans, you've gone too far. So back up a couple pages. Look with me, would you? And we'll begin in Acts chapter 2. Now, some great things are happening in the early church, and, and there's some incredible preaching going on. And people are trying to figure out what Jesus' death is really all about. He's already resurrected. In fact, he's ascended into heaven. The disciples have seen him go. And the disciples have actually received 
some teaching from Jesus about baptism. Before he left on the mountain, uh, before he ascended back into heaven, he said, uh, hey, I want you to, to teach everybody everything that I have commanded you, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what I want you to do. And wouldn't you know it, they risk everything. They start preaching about the message that Jesus preached, about the kingdom of God, And Peter begins to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together for all these folks, and he begins preaching. And they want to know what they should do with it. So listen as we pick up in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. In other words, he's the master. He's the savior. He's the one that all the prophets have been looking forward to. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And the answer Peter replied, is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What should we do? I know what you should do. You should repent and be baptized. Now, if that were the only text in all the Bible, I'm sure that we could talk a little more about baptism, but that's not the only time uh, that this this plan lays itself out, this simple yes before God. You see, the response, baptism is our response to God. It's our yes. It's part of our yes to who God is. Uh, Flip over a couple chapters, would you? Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Now, there's some incredible things that God is doing, but sometimes He supernaturally orchestrates something so that someone can come and say yes to Him. Someone can come and fully respond to Him. And there's this guy. He's not a Jew. He's not from the Jewish church. Actually, it seems like he fears God. He's come into Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his way home. And it's there that God talks to this eunuch and Acts chapter 8. The eunuch had just read this scripture. This is the passage of scripture, uh, verse 32, that the scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about his kingdom. Let me tell you about what he came to do. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, hey, hey, look, look, there it is, there's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders for this chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. There he was. He was opening up the scriptures going, "Uh, I fear God. I want to serve him. I want to say yes to him. What's this scripture mean? And 
Philip comes alongside of him and goes, let me tell you who, who it really refers to. It's talking about Jesus. And what would Jesus have you do? He comes to a, he comes to a little bass pond on the side of the road and says, hey, uh, that looks good enough. How about that? If that weren't enough, there's this guy who happens to be persecuting the church. His name is Saul. Uh, some of you may know him as Paul. Some of the uh, letters and the, the books of the New Testament are written by this guy. And in chapter 9, it's Saul who's had this uh, incredible experience with God. Uh, God comes to him in a special way. And he says, hey, you're going to be my guy. You're going to be spreading my message to people who aren't Jewish. You're my guy. And I want you to notice Part of the response from Saul. Look at verse 18 in chapter 9. Immediately, something like scales fell from his, uh, Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And that's the beginning of his ministry. If you go back into chapter 22 in Acts, it's actually really interesting to me. Uh, Paul, several times throughout the book of Acts, just simply retells his story. Hey, this is how I came to know Jesus. This is how I responded to Jesus, and, and you ought to too. In chapter 22 of Acts, he adds this little detail to the story in Acts 22, verse 16. And how? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. He's, he's recounting His own experience with God, and He adds that little phrase, what are you waiting for? In other words, get up and do this. What, what's going on? Look, there's water right there. That, that looks sufficient to me. Part of our yes... Part of our response to who God is and all that He has done is partnering with Him and His grace in the waters of baptism. Now, if that's not enough for you, go into chapter 10. Let's just keep going, okay? Uh, let's look at chapter 10. There's this guy, his name is Cornelius. Now again, he's not a Jew. He didn't grow up with this whole idea of baptism. It wasn't uh, something that he, he necessarily saw regularly as part of his life, like maybe some of the Jews had. But he believed in who God was. In fact, uh, there's this whole story. They, they begin to hear the gospel. They receive the gospel. They believe in Jesus. Uh, they act in faith toward Jesus. They receive the Holy Spirit. And notice now what it says. Look at verse 39. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about this gospel. On the third day, and he caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What a great piece of news. 
And the Holy Spirit, verse 44, came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, those were the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. What is baptism? Baptism is part of our yes. It's a part of our full response to who God is and all that he has done. We step into the waters of baptism because we are saying yes to God. I could go on. I love the story in Acts chapter 16. It's where my daughter get her name, get got her name. They're looking for a place to gather, to pray, and there they find. There's, a, there's this uh, loyal woman, and her name is Lydia, and she's a, she's a businesswoman. And she comes, and she listens to the message, and wouldn't you know it, she and everybody else uh, that's around her, uh, they, they're baptized, and then she begins just a little house group uh, in her house afterwards. Hey, what, hey, I've been baptized. Why don't you come to my house? You see, part of our yes, part of the simple plan that God lays out is, is simply to say, hey, would you submit yourself to baptism? What is it? It's part of our simple response to who God is and all that He's done. Baptism is a part of you saying yes. Now, if that's what baptism is, how should we do baptism? How do we go about practicing baptism at Whiting Christian Church? Now, some of you may know that uh, there's a word in the Bible and that word baptize, it has a, underneath of it, it has a Greek word, and that's the language that the New Testament was written in. And that Greek word is baptizo. Now, that may not sound interesting to you, but if you're interested in the answer to how it is that we go about baptizing, uh, the reason that word is important is because it doesn't just mean baptize. The word means to immerse. The word means that we dip it or plunge it. The word is a word that really uh, takes on a sense of a sunken ship, or it's like your dishes in the sink. Uh, You submerge them. Now, why is it that we decide around here at Whiting Christian Church that we're going to baptize people in water? We're going to completely submerge them. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the first reason really is, is that, what, that is how the early church went about doing it. The early church was, was, was baptizing people. They, they were submerging them into the water uh, just like the word means. When we see Jesus being baptized, it says that he came, comes up out of the water, meaning uh, he was already underneath of the water. When we talk about the eunuch who we just visited in, in Acts, we recognize that he comes up out of the water. Why do we choose to do it that way? Well, we choose to do it that way because uh, we care a lot 
about trying to do things the way that God would have us do them. And and we don't want to depart too far from what Scripture is saying and telling us to do. So we borrow their example and we say, you know what, we're going to follow their example. We're going to completely immerse people when we come to baptize them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to plunge them. We're going to dip them all the way into the water. But why else do we do it this way? Why is this mode so important? I think this mode is so important because it fully identifies us with Jesus. You see, when we get into a baptistry, we identify ourselves with God and His grace. We actually begin to participate with Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, Paul begins to give us a clue about this full participation in who Jesus is. Listen, in the first several verses, he's going to say, hey, check this out. You're, you're baptized into death, burial, and then resurrection. There's newness of life on the other side. He begins, what shall we say? Can we go on sinning so that grace can increase? No, no, by no means, he says. We're those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ, Christ Jesus, have been baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, the mode matters not just because the early church did it, uh, but because uh, it has this fantastic picture of us who are partnering with God and we're saying, I am actually going to die in that water. If I held myself, if, if someone held me under long enough, I would actually die under there. But I'm dying to self. I came into the baptistry, the walking dead, but I am, I am leaving on a highway to heaven. Those of you who get those sitcoms, okay? Walking dead, highway to heaven. You're dead, but then you're alive. And it's a full picture of what God is doing and partnering with us in our yes. It's interesting to me that several years ago, actually more than several I had an opportunity to go to Greece and Turkey, and, and in one of the, the Greek cities, you'll notice it from the Bible, it's the city of Thessalonica. We had a chance to go there, and, and uh, we, we were at this particular church, and if, if you pay something to go down in like the basement of the church, they actually have the remains of of what are some of the catacombs that Christians would hide in during times of persecution. Uh, What I mean by that is there were times in the the history uh, where God's people were being persecuted. People wanted to kill them because they believed in Jesus. And so what do you do? You go and hide. And so this was their hiding place. They would live underneath of the city, underneath of the streets, and they would kind of live in these caves. What was most interesting to me As you walk down into these catacombs, into the darkness where these Christians would live for a period of time to try and escape being persecuted, 
What did we find down there? There was a full-size baptistry down there. I'm not, I'm not lying. There was what was called a keyhole baptistry. You see, in the, in, the, in the first century, oftentimes what would happen is there were a, a set of stairs leading you down into a large hole that looked like a keyhole, and you would go down into the water there. Uh, that was where you came in, you were dead, and then uh, the idea was that you left a new person on the other side. And wouldn't you know that down in the catacombs where they were being persecuted, they had found a way to figure out how to put a baptistry in. How is it that we do this? How is it that we do this baptism thing? We do it by full immersion. Because we think it's what the early church practiced. And we think it's a full picture It's a full picture of our participation in the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Now, perhaps the the biggest question, the one that you all are wanting to know is why? Why do we do this? Is it just so that we can say that we've done it? Is it just so that we can come to church and call ourselves a baptized believer? Why do we do this? Now, there's a couple truths that I want you to hang on to here as we try and answer this question. A couple truths that you might want to consider. The first truth of why we do this is because I think that baptism is taught in the Bible and is followed with assurance. The first truth that I think that you need to consider as you think about saying yes to Jesus in this simple plan uh, that involves baptism is that Scripture teaches baptism. I walked you through this morning in ways that I don't always do. I just wanted to give you a sense of how important it was that when you came to to say yes in faith, uh, in confession, in repentance, that you followed it with baptism. It was a consistent process that people were going through consistently. Why should you uh, submit yourself and surrender yourself to baptism? Uh, Because I think that Scripture teaches it. And I think assurance follows it. Some of you right away saw that I had Thomas the train engine come up here this morning. Now, this is an analogy that's not original with me, but it worked so well in my mind that I thought it would be helpful. What if Jesus is the engine of all of this stuff? Jesus is the mover. He's got the moving parts. He's the, he, he makes this thing go. If we take any one of these cars all by themselves, how far are they going to go? They're not going to go anywhere. They're going to sit right there on the track. God owns all of it. He's the one that makes it move. Now, we're the caboose. We're sitting there in the back. We're hoping that we have an opportunity to hook up to Jesus. We hope that that He will take us wherever He is going to go. We know that we can't move on our own. That's that confession part. 
We recognize that outside of God, outside of Jesus, we're dead. We can't move on our own. So we're sitting there as a caboose, and God gave us good news. And he said, I want you to know my simple plan. I want you to see uh, this simple guide that I have for you to at least initially begin to say yes to me. And so we have lots of different cars. There's a car of faith. There's a car of confession. There's a car of repentance. And this morning, I think there's a car of baptism. Now, what happens if you start unhooking the cars? If you start arbitrarily unhooking the cars, you may find that you're not as connected with Jesus as you think you are. Now, I know on some of your minds, Mike... I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling, Mike. I'm I'm wrestling with Scripture. Maybe I'm wrestling with God. Can't I say yes to Jesus without baptism? Can't I be saved outside of anything to do with walking into the baptistry? I only have one answer. You're not going to like it, but it's the only answer that we have. Salvation doesn't belong to me. Salvation doesn't belong to you. Salvation, in fact, uh, doesn't belong uh, to Whiting Christian Church. It doesn't belong to any one uh, spiritual exercise. Do you know who owns salvation? God owns it. And he's given it to Jesus. You and I don't own it. So, can God save someone who decides that they don't want to believe and they want to unhook the car of faith and just go with all the rest? I suppose he can. But if I'm on the caboose, that doesn't give me much assurance, does it? I think this morning God is just laying out and saying, hey, don't take it for granted. Come on in, the water's fine. Why do we do this? Because the Bible teaches it and assurance follows it. You want to make sure that you're hooked up to God then I think you all have to say, I need to go through all of these things. Now, I I know that some of you have your favorite cars. You would rather hang out in the car of faith than the car of baptism. I get it. Or some of you would rather hang out in the the car of repentance and say, that's enough. Uh, But maybe we need all the cars. That Scripture teaches and that assurance follows. Why else? Why else should we do this? I got to reading this week, and quite frankly, I, I think we do this because Jesus said yes to baptism. Jesus said yes to baptism, gang. I mean, it's really quite remarkable, actually. In, in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3, <laughs> Jesus surrenders to baptism. 
And there's a crazy thing that happens. God, through Jesus, Jesus says yes to God in baptism, and God says yes to Jesus afterwards. It's really cool. Can I read it for you? Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes to be baptized. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. You see, John, uh, the Baptist, uh, didn't want to baptize Jesus because it's Jesus. I mean, he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one who's going to save everybody. Well, why in the world do you need to be baptized? And Jesus says, uh, because I need to fulfill what God has in store for me, to fulfill all righteousness. I need to do this because it's the right thing to do right now. You see, Jesus understood something that maybe John didn't, that he had to be obedient, that he had to recognize the journey that God was going to send him on. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to go and I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to say yes to God. And I want you to note the response. Jesus says yes to God in baptism. He responds fully to him in whatever he asked him to do. And here's God's response. And I'm going to go over to Luke 3. Because the words are just a little bit different. In Matthew, it's more of a declaration. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But I want you to notice how it changes in Luke chapter 3. I want you to see how it changes. In Luke chapter 3, I want you to hear the words, hear the difference. In Luke chapter 3, verse 22. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It's not a declaration. It's not like so everybody else out in the church and the audience can hear, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. No, no. he looks at Jesus, and he looks him square in the eye, and he gets intimate and personal with Jesus, and he says, You, you are my son. You are my child. I love you. With you, I am well pleased. Can I ask you a question? What yes is God waiting to give to you because you said yes to him? Jesus got a yes from God because Jesus was willing to say yes to God. What yes is God ready to give to you Is he going to look you in the eye and he's going to say, you're my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And he's going to get intimate with you and he's going to get personal and he's going to tell you that he loves you. I ran into this this week. It's by an author. His name was Brendan Manning. And he offers this up for anybody who may be saying, I'm still not worthy. I can't say yes. He said this as if he were speaking from the perspective of God. I have a word for you. I know your life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame. I know the dishonesty and the, and the degraded love that darkens your past. 
right now, I know your shallow faith. I know your feeble prayer life. I know your inconsistent discipleship. And my word for you is this. I dare you. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be. Because none of us are as we should be. I don't know how you came this morning. Maybe you knocked a a piggly wiggly over on the way over. (laughs) But can I say to you that God God is ready to say yes to you. He is ready for your yes, and he wants to look into you, and he he wants to say to you, I love you, and I am ready for your yes. If you're ready for your yes, I'm ready for your yes, and God is ready for your yes. Hey, come on in. The water's fine. Let's pray. Gracious God, I I ask that you guide and lead every person. And I pray, no matter where we are and what we're doing this morning, I pray that all of us would be willing to say yes. I pray that there would be no pride uh, that keeps us in our way. I I pray that uh, there would be no sense of... of, um, Lord, I just pray that there would be no sense of obstacle to keep us from you. Lord, I pray that we would fully say yes and respond to you as fully as we possibly can. And I pray, Lord, that there would be nothing to keep us back. Help us to say yes. And Lord, I pray that part of our yes is walking with you, partnering with you in baptism. We love you. And we pray this in in your holy and precious name. Amen.